from the Duck South Studios in Morgan City, Mississippi. I love the smell of napalm in the morning. I want to punch you in the face so bad right now. This is the On The X podcast, powered by DuckSouth.com. I didn't get a harumph out of that guy. Get the governor harumph. What we've got here is failure to communicate. Today's episode is brought to you by Advantage Multi from Bayer. Advantage Multi is veterinarian's number one choice in the prevention of heartworms, fleas, roundworms, hookworms, and whipworms. Treats and controls sarcoptic mange. Make sure your dog is protected by using Advantage Multi. I said what I said and I'll stand by it to the death. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? And now, here are your hosts, Jay Paul Jackson. You just love to hear yourself talk, don't you? Even when you're not saying anything. Rocky LaFleur. Yo, Adrian! Adrian! Houston Kennedy. Please, Houston, we have a problem. And Josh Webb. Coons. We're raccoons trying to get on our back porch. Mama just chased them off with a broom. Welcome to the On The X Podcast, powered by DuckSouth.com. presented by Four Corner Properties. I'm Jay Paul Jackson. Today I'm joined by my co-host, the handsome and charming Josh Webb, and Mr. I Love to Shoot Ducks in the Lips, Rocky LaFleur. What's happening, guys? Well, on, I'm guys. just going to tell you. I come in with an opening like that, and there's that pregnant pause. You guys got to do better. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just going to tell you, Jay Paul, I'm, I'm here for Rocky today. So he he's not going to be here today. So this is Coach O, your coach of the LSU Tigers. <laughs> well, Coach O, it's good to have you on the show, man. I mean, I'll tell you what, because you're on here with Josh Webb and myself, two of the biggest LSU haters in the country. So welcome to the show. Right, Josh? Well, well I'm going to tell you, I hunted with Josh this morning. Well, tell me about it. I want to hear about it. Well, we started off on some specs, and uh, anyway, didn't we killed a couple? And well, Rocky called us and told us that he had a bunch of ducks on the pond, so he called us and told us to come over. Went over there, and we limited out in about five minutes, J. Paul. Wow, that's pretty good for a fish pond shooting ring necks and shovelers. I'm impressed. Well, no, it was mallards and teal <laughs> on this catfish pond, Jay Paul. <laughs> but it was a catfish pond. All right, let me go to my real voice. <laughs> Where in the hell did that come from? <laughs> uh, you'll, see more. You'll, you'll see more of that tomorrow. I, I just oh figured I would throw that in there. No, listen, Jay, Josh <laughs> and I got it together today. First day we've ever got it together. And uh, anyway, everything was locked up in the Mississippi Delta this morning. And everything in the rice fields and the cornfields that surround a catfish farm that I have was in the catfish ponds. And the catfish ponds were locked up, and it wasn't but just a couple of holes in different places. And I kid you not, man, there were mallards, pintails, teal, gadwall, shovelers, canvasback, bluebills. Anything that you can think of, literally when I pulled up in my truck, the ducks got up, and all they did was circle back around and come straight back down in that open hole. Wow. It's 
it's pretty amazing to watch. And I threw out decoys really quick. My guys limited out probably in about 10 minutes. And I called Josh, and I said, Josh, you know, Josh is actually taking another group spec hunting because everything's locked up. And I said, Josh, get over here. They're here, buddy. So Josh pulls up, and I think that the three of them, they limited out in about 20 or 30 minutes. It took longer to pick up the ducks and the decoys than it did to shoot six limits. Wow. you got to love those kind of hunts. Yeah. You know, and, thank God, and I'm here. thank God for thank God for Kit Stovall right down the road had a P road that he came down there and helped <laughs> us get everything out of the hole. <laughs> Poor Kit. So you mean y'all killed all the ducks and you called Kit and made him bring the P road and pick up the birds for you? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I love that guy because he is so willing to help a brother out anytime. But I got to tell you, Rocky, there are times when I feel like. You might take advantage of him just a little bit, and that would definitely be one of those times. I didn't so, know what else to do. I didn't, really didn't <laughs> know what else to do. I mean, there, if a game warden pulls up, you're like, oh, God, whose duck is that? You know, they're sitting <laughs> in a pile. You know, I'm used to shooting a duck, going to pick it up, bringing it back, and putting it by the person that shot it. Right. But, right. Well, could you have used a dog this morning there? Yeah. Well, the dog, my dog freaks out around ice you put him in any open water situation other than anything with ice on it he freaks out he cut yeah, his paw cut his pad a couple of times and Royan's had to work on it and dude he had, he just freaks him out that ice I, I know my phone's been going in and out but uh, i came in at a good time uh here and talking about your dog freaking out and yes uh, uh, he he did it for me. I, I I got Rocky's dog pick up a few birds for me after we had a a heart to heart come to Jesus meeting that that it wasn't gonna kill him to swim out there and pick up a duck. He finally he finally did. But I figured out as I was telling Rocky was I figured out that there was a little sheet of ice right in front of him, and he if he had to go straight out from there, I just didn't notice it. If he had to go straight out from there, he he would not go pick one up. But if a if a bird went down left or right, he just he'd run down the bank around it and then go in. And but yeah, I I just thought he was being hard headed for a while. But turns out, well, you know was, how you know how that water was, will freeze up six feet out from the bank. Yeah, and, and that's so what there was. Yeah, couple, there was a couple of spots that were there wasn't any ice right there where you jumped off the bank because my dog bails mm-hmm. off the bank. But right. he couldn't he couldn't bail off the bank and clear six feet. And that's right. Anyway, he cut his paw severely uh, two years ago on some ice, and ever since then, it just freaks him out. Wow. Well, you know what the solution to that is? I mean, you do have a partner here who is a dog trainer. It sounds to me like you just need another dog. You need a pair. You need a backup anyway for times like that, and you need a dog so when you and Josh are hunting together, you can have one and he can have one. And I happen to have in the back of my truck a really nice three-year-old yellow male named Turbo that is a Finnish dog, Rocky, that it would be absolutely perfect to sell you. (laughs) Oh, man. Listen to that pitch, Rocky. That was nice. Turbo goes well with me because we've opposite the track. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> hey, hey, you know what? It's true. It's true, and he's super fast. And and I'm not in, insinuating anything about you as a dog handler, so don't take it the wrong way. I don't want our listeners to think that. It's just a fact. This dog is idiot proof. Anybody 
could hunt with this dog. You don't have to know much about handling dogs to handle turbo. So I, well, I think look, that makes it a perfect marriage. Yeah. Uh, Pato's getting old. He's right at eight years old now. So, I mean, he's not getting old. He's just getting to that seasoned age where he's out of the, how do you say it, high-energy young pup phase. Yeah, he's, he's kind of at his still old pace hunting. now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's well, kind of at his old pace, which, I mean, is is fun to be around, you know. But like, we had a um, a dog, which he's he passed away two years ago now. But, but you know, those last two or three years we hunted him, wide open to pick one up, just walk, take his time coming back. You know, it was just kind of, he just kind of got to that point where, you know, like you said, he's excited to be there and love to hunt, but you know, an hour into picking up ducks or geese, he just kind of just kind of settled into his little you know uh, pace, and he would just you know he pick anything up, didn't matter how far it was, but he just you know ease out there, get him, and he ease back, you know. But uh, Jay Paul, no, that brings Jay Paul, that brings up a good question. At what age mm-hmm. does a dog get to that you should really start looking at getting a puppy and start working another dog man let me tell you that's really really tough because i mean for some dogs that's gonna be seven or eight years old for some dogs that's gonna be 10 um i'll give you a couple of for instances i've got a client that just got a new dog um this year um this guy, he doesn't like buying puppies. He wants to get a started dog, but he doesn't like a, a older dog. So we found him a dog that was about 14 months old back in the fall. Dog's 16, 17 months old now. I'd actually trained the dog, so it made a pretty easy transition. And his dog uh, last year was nine, and he noticed that that dog was really, really, you know, starting to slip. Um you know, in my case, Ella um, will be 13 her next birthday, and I just retired her. And the reason that I retired Ella wasn't because she doesn't have a go. I retired her because she can no longer hear. She just had so many ducks killed over her, so many live rounds fired over her head that she can't she can't hear a thing anymore. And then I've got a dog in my kennel that will be 13 in a couple of weeks named Solo. I say a couple of weeks, in March, in two months named Solo that we hunted in the ice the other day, and he is still amazing. And it wouldn't surprise me if Solo had another season in him, although I think this will probably be his last. So the reason I tell you that is because there's no cut-and-dried answer for that question, Rocky. You've just got to take a look at your dog. And you see those indications. You've got to eight-year-old dog that doesn't seem to have the enthusiasm for it anymore and that maybe seems a little bit stiff on the next morning after a a decent hunt, it's probably time to to look at getting that replacement started. Um, You know, definitely if you're going to go the puppy route. On the other hand, you know, if you've got a dog that's still, that's 10 years old and that dog is still really, really hard charging and you're the kind of guy that you're going to buy a started dog anyway, you know, hey, I, I don't ever like to retire one before they're ready to retire. And what I mean by that is I've seen too many dogs that are just like people. They love to work. And you take that dog, and it's still 
got the heart and the physical ability to hunt, but maybe it's lost a step and you go on and you replace it prematurely, they just don't seem to last very long after that. Just like I've known guys in my life who right after they retired dropped dead, you know, because they just didn't have anything else to do anymore. All they'd done was work. And I think the dogs can be that same way. So you got to take a look at your dog. And, you know, by the time one's about eight or nine years old, you need to start evaluating evaluating that dog on a fairly regular basis and seeing, hey, is it showing signs of slipping or, or do we got another season in us? Does that answer your question, Rob? No, oh, yeah. That's a yeah, that really was, yeah, good that answer. Oh, uh, yeah, I thought about that. That was great. And I know. Hold, uh, hold on, hold on, Josh. The only thing that I would add to that is, is it kind of goes back to what you said about the puppy, Jay Paul. You do, you know, you have. I guess you have a little bit longer time if you're going to buy a started dog, and you know, you, when you start sure. seeing your dog slip a little bit. That's right. That's right. If you're going the puppy well, route, you know, you got to have a little bit more planning in, in it. What about? In the situation, somebody's got that dog that's, you know, they've they've seen that, you know, like you said, the dog's a little more stiff, you know, the day after, a you know, a hunt and stuff. They know that they're going to, you know, probably be needing a new dog in the next year or two. You know, scale of 1 to 10, how important is it to whatever new dog they get, take it out there and let it hunt beside that that seasoned dog, that that older, you know, mature dog that's kind of seen it all, um, is good or bad? We're, you know, how, how, I, mean, I mean, I'm not talking like, like a right, puppy so that they I out there and put it saying. in the pit. You know, I'm talking right. about, you know, a dog that's very capable of hunting, but, but have it out there with that older dog. You, you know what I mean? Oh, you know, let me that, tell you something. I think it's a great idea if, you, if it's done properly. Here's the thing. Dogs learn you know, uh, by repetition, but dogs also understand competition to some degree. And I'll, I'll give you an example. You know, we have dogs every once in a while, you'll get a dog in the kennel that um, after you go through force fetch, that dog will seem to not have the desire to retrieve that it had before. You know, it'll be like you took a little bit out of it. And, and sometimes just the force fetch process in and of itself does that because basically you're teaching the dog that this guy retrieve on your terms and not its terms. But now with that said, so, you know, we'll take a dog that maybe has um, given up a step, definitely not lost it, but as you know, they're, they're a little bit, Hey, you know, if I go out there and I pick that thing up and I come back and I drop it, he's going to pinch my ear. Do I really, and make me pick it back up and hold it. Do I really want to do this? So, We'll take that dog that seems to have lost a little bit of its desire through that process, and we will go out in the yard and we'll work another dog right in front of it. And, you know, basically it's teasing it. It's building up that competition. It's getting that dog, you know, fired back up about it. Hey, hey, I'm watching him do it. Okay, okay, I want my turn. You know, and, and you can bring that desire right back in there. Now, to answer your question, so... I think the dogs watch other dogs and it inspires them, so to speak. And, you know, definitely you got a dog that you take out there that's just about ready to hunt. You've got that old dog out there. There's going to be a certain amount of competition, a certain amount of rivalry in there. So I think that's a good thing. But I've got to also qualify that and say, 
you don't want to build bad habits that way. And, you know, you'll have a dog. Uh, we see this in hunt tests all the time. Dog wouldn't dream of breaking on the working dog bucket when it's working by itself. But you put another dog, an honor situation in there, and all of a sudden this dog just can't stand it. I've probably lost more dogs to breaks on the honor than anything else while running hunt test competition. And, uh, you know, you got to be prepared. If you're going to hunt two dogs together, you've got to be prepared to keep that young dog and the old dog, too, under control because you do not want to allow them to build bad habits. And, and then finally, I would say that another reason I really like to do that, you know, you take um, my old dog, Ella. I've hunted her a couple of times this year, even though she can't hear. But when I've taken her, I've taken her with somebody else with a young dog. You know, a long blind retrieve, she can't hear the whistle anymore. So, hey, hunting an old dog and a young dog together is a really good way to keep that old dog in the game without putting it in a situation that it no longer has the tools to handle. Jay Paul, you know who's got a good hunting dog? Who's that, brother? Joseph Presley at Four Corner Properties. And got a lot of good hunting land to take that dog to, and he's trying to move it. Um, now, Joseph at Four Corner Properties, if you're looking for a recreational piece of property, duck hunting, deer hunting, turkey hunting, it doesn't matter. Joseph is a guy to go to in Arkansas, Mississippi, Louisiana. Um to get in touch with Joseph, Joseph is at 601-540-7240. That's Four Corner Properties in Ridgeland, Mississippi. Joseph was by here just a minute ago. He was telling me, uh, we were talking about that piece of property up in Mooner City, J-Paul, J- that we talked about last week. <laughs> yeah, it, the one that I'm t- trying to invite myself to go hunting with him on. <laughs> yeah, he said, he said the gadwalls have showed up on that property, so... I, I guess we're starting to see a few gadwalls reverse migrate because I've heard people over the weekend killed a good many gadwalls. Well, that, and that's something I was going to bring up too, Rocky, was the guys um, close to, well, right next to where we hunt and not far from my house. Finally, uh, it was a, it was a double-edged sword type situation. They showed up, um, and so they got in town and, and, and saw them were there and couldn't go hunt the next morning and got in there the next morning and everything was locked up and the birds tried to come back in there and realized it was ice and, and left. But that's the first time this year that it has looked like normal as far as in that area and for gadwall numbers. Um, so, um, so that was, that was exciting news. Um, and though they did end up one afternoon, I know having, a good hunt in a generally gadwall dominant area. They killed um, well nothing but mallards except for one wood duck. Um, you know, one afternoon when when some stuff had, had thawed out. Another another example of you know for whatever reason, um, you know, keep talking about it. That these areas that are usually overrun with gadwalls uh, seem to be having seem to be having really, really good numbers of mallards. Uh, you know, that, that proved itself again um, this weekend for those guys. But um, like I said, the gadwalls had showed up in one of those breaks, but then everything froze and they moved out. They may be back by now on, you know, on this fall. But, 
So I know there's multiple reports of that. So maybe maybe we are going to get some gadwalls before the year's over with. Uh, I, I miss them. I know that much. Yeah. You want to go kill some gadwalls, you need to buy that little small break that uh, Joseph has got for sale because I've hunted that thing for years. Jay Paul's hunted it. Man, that is a fine piece of property up at Minner City that Joseph has listed. And I'll end with I'll end with that. Um, but Jay Paul, let's talk about a yes, couple sir. of myths that we didn't. Uh, we need we got a couple of more shows to talk about myths today, and one more this week. That and I hope to finish this up. I hope that next time that we get a wildlife biologist that can talk about some of the sanctuary and some of the sanctuary and refuge questions that we have. Yeah, and you know, I had somebody on on standby for today, and then you told me you wanted to discuss some more myths. So I kind of I'm holding back a little bit. We're going to definitely revisit the refuges, why they're important, are they good, are they bad? Um, you know, I, I think we definitely burst one of the myths. Did hey Josh, did you throw up on the website? I didn't go specifically looking for it. Uh, that photo from Lake Lauderdale that I sent you. No, I actually didn't. Um, I mean, that's just my fault. I, I didn't. I had saved that one. Some others you sent me to my phone. Um, but we uh, we need to get that up to go with that this, podcast. That's what I was going to say. Um, since we every every well, this will be the second, and then we're going to talk about it again in the third podcast about myths and refuge is going to come up every time. So I will post it with this one and the next one too, um, because it's a. You know, it shows exactly what we're talking about, and and I don't know if either one of y'all paid attention uh, to some of the comments to the video where we were talking about myths uh, in those you know those little funny segments, Rocky. But we <laughs> ruffled some feathers with some uh, with some with some followers. Um, you know, some guys were evidently thinking we were we were for or we strongly believed in some of the myths that we were laughing about, but. Um, I mean, it really is comical, some of the things that that we hear. Hey, well, let's start out with this one, J-Paul, because I uh, know you have a scientific backing for this one, okay? Oh, my gosh. The first, <laughs> the first one that we're going to talk about today is why duck season has to end by the end of January. Why there's oh, wow. really, you know, there's there's their youth season here in Mississippi that, that one day in uh, the first weekend of February, but why does the majority of duck season have to end by the end of January? Well, federal law. Okay, yeah, you're right. I know this. Hold on, because, because, all right, here you go. You always hear people say, well, man, if duck season would last to the 15th of February or the 28th of February, we could actually kill some ducks. Yeah, but that's not a good idea. And and that is true. That you We... Harvest rates in some areas where it's not frozen in the south would definitely uh, increase if we hunted into February. However, um, that's not possible um, and not practical. Number one, it is not possible today as the law stands because federal law, this is not state, this is federal law mandates that duck season nationally, nationwide, the last day that any state can extend its duck season to is January the 31st, period. That's by federal law. And by the way, a um, little interesting sidebar here is 
that law was the law used to read that the mandate was that duck season had to end nationwide by the third Sunday in the month of January, which meant if January the 1st was a Sunday, the latest that you could go anywhere would be that third Sunday of January, which would be January the 15th. And um, because so many duck hunters said exactly and felt strongly about what you what you're saying rocky that hey if we just went into february if we went longer it would be so much better for us and and they had a really good argument particularly in your area of the world louisiana and mississippi southern arkansas even west tennessee you know a lot of times in a really really mild winter we don't get really good duck numbers and a good migration until late january so thanks to mississippi Thanks to a very famous Mississippian who is a legislator or was and also is a very avid duck hunter named Trent Lott, about 12 years ago or so, duck season, the law was changed and duck season nationwide now can run through January the 31st. However, that change did not come with quite a bit of opposition and the opposition came from the practical side. A lot of the opposition, as a matter of fact, came from Ducks Unlimited. As a matter of fact, I can remember at that time, Parker Stevenson was the host of Ducks Unlimited Television, and he actually kind of did a segment that was sort of pseudo-editorial about why we needed to oppose Trent Lott's idea of extending to January 31st. And the reason was because they felt like it could harm breeding populations um, of ducks because so many mallards are paired by late January. However, uh, you know, U.S. Fish and Wildlife, DU, um, the state agencies, waterfowl biologists all got together, and the conclusion was that the effect of having an earlier or having a later closing extending January 31st would have minimal, if any, effect on populations, particularly during liberal seasons. Go back to podcasts before last where we talked about harvesting hens, and I talked about the effect that that uh, hunting mortality has on ducks when we have uh, populations well above the LTA. And so um, today we can go until January the 31st. And that's why we have to stop January 31st, though, because it's in the best interest of the ducks because so many have paired. And even with good duck populations, it was deemed that the compromise was that, hey, we, we go to January 31st, but to be safe, we need to go no later than that to make sure that hunters don't have an impact on the overall population by killing uh, mated pairs. You know, one of the things you always hear from people, though, Jay Paul, is, you know, I didn't see a hundred ducks on my place all year, and let the season end, and I have five thousand. And I think part of the reason for that is pressure. Sure it is. I mean, sure it is. It blows my mind. I hear these guys go, "Man, you know, we we were in that hole every day all season long, and man, we never really got a big build up of ducks." And you know, now it's the 5th of February, and 
man, you couldn't stick another duck in our field with a shoehorn. I'm like, well, man, they need to extend that season. I'm like, they need to extend the season. You know, what if they did? What the heck do you think is going to happen if they extend the season to the 5th of February? You're not seeing ducks in that field because it's the 5th of February and they've just shown up. You know, you stand, I mean, I'm like, so how many days did you hunt? Oh, we hunted every single day of the season. Well, there you go. You know, the reason ducks are there now isn't because they just showed up. They're in there now because they can go in that field and eat, and nobody's going to shoot their ass, okay? I mean, when you're shooting at them every day, they're not going to build up, all right? If I start shooting at you, you're going to run. At least if you've got any sense, you're going to run, well, you know? So, I mean... It's like, whoa, dude, they didn't just miraculously arrive on February the 1st, you know, they've been around, they just, you know, found the food and they're they're in there, that doesn't mean, you've got to use common sense, there's got to be a point where we say, hey, you know, mating season's coming, we've got to take the, and I'll tell you another thing too, Rocky, and you're dead on about that, I've heard that so many times, personally, I would Personally, on a from a selfish standpoint, I would love to see us have a, you know a, a 107 day duck season like they've got in the Pacific Flyway that starts the first of, of November and you know runs all the way into mid you know mid February. And that's the selfish side of me, but but the realistic well, I, the, con- the conservationist no. side of me knows it's no good. Okay. I'm no, I'm with you on that. But while we're while we're on that, hypothetically speak to that. In that, Rocky, me and you talked about a lot is especially this year the lack of water, Mississippi. Excuse my screaming one year old. The the lack of water in Mississippi and Arkansas Delta early November. Okay, well even if say duck season opens in first of November in those areas there would still be a lack of water because there's still crops being harvested. So would Mississippi, oh, I mean, I mean, we're, we're speaking, you know, just, just way out here, you know, way out on a limb here. If that happened, would it even make a difference this far south? Well, you know, I said that, I, I said that tongue in cheek, but, and, I, and I guess I presented that wrong. Okay. The selfish part of me would add, because we have ducks here a lot of times until mid-March, the selfish part of me wishes that we had a duck season that ran through December, January, and into February, and maybe even into March. You know, I'd rather see more on the back end and think I could kill more ducks in Mississippi and Tennessee and Arkansas if we had more time on the back end after January 31st. You know, and, and that's the selfish me. But the conservationist part of me knows that, you know, that would not be overall good for duck hunting and waterfowl in general because and i can i can i can present the same the same side to to what i said though turn around and i know for a fact that farmers are going to be would be screaming up and down about water being on their fields in february because they're ready to plant mid-march so i'm just look i'm just saying we're just throwing crazy stuff out there but right. i mean you see what i'm saying so would it um, you know, with, uh, I, I'm, I'm just saying it's just interesting, just food for thought, it's just interesting thoughts to think about. All right, would he even I'm, be able to? I'm gonna throw a hypothetical out to y'all real quick. 
We're going on okay. hypotheticals today, okay? All right, let's say we kept the same duck season. How much could we change duck hunting if the state mandated that you only got two days during the week and two days on the weekend to hunt ducks? How much okay. duck, How much right. would it change the overall hunting I have a for question duck hunting? Before, before we dive into the answer, and I have a question on that. The same duck season or the same amount of hunting days? No, it would have the same amount of hunting days. You would just add it on part of it. Let's just say you add part of it on the front end, part of it on the back end. Right. But you only get two days days in the week, two days on the weekend. You got three days of rest every week for a duck to rest. How much would it change hunting, J. Paul? That that ties everything together a lot neater because I never got to conclude on the last point, so that gives me the opportunity. It, It would change it. It would change it dramatically in at least two and maybe three ways that I can think of. Um, first of all, to let's let's go back to how would it change it in reference to going further, having a 60-day season that started at the same time or maybe started a little earlier, went a little bit later, where you could only hunt 60 days, so four days out of every seven you could hunt, three you couldn't, and those three didn't count, and that's 60. You know, that would mean that we would have to go into February and I think that that would have a negative impact overall on waterfowl populations. I think it would increase hunting success, and I think that it would have a negative overall impact on waterfowl populations. And and here's why. We're going to look at the negative impact first because that closes out the last hill. After January the 31st, Ducks are pairing like crazy. And in order to have reproductive success, those ducks, particularly the hens, have to have rest, proper nutrition, and, and you know, be in good overall physical condition, just like any mama having babies, okay? So if we go past January the 31st, even if we're just doing it four days a week, we are putting undue pressure on the breeding part of the population when, when pairing is occurring. So I think that would be bad. I think that is why the conservationist part of me says, hey, yep, January 31st, that's a good compromise. Sure, I'd love to see it go further, but you know what? You know, the scientists, the guys that know more about waterfowl biology than I do say that, hey, the later we go, the harder it is on the overall population and their ability to reproduce. I, I want to respect and honor that. I'm cool with January 31st closing. So if we went beyond it, I believe that the potential would be there for a negative impact due to pressure on the overall waterfowl population. I think the other impact would be that we would definitely have more hunter success. And I'm not just because we'd be going into February, but I mean, you know, this is a subject we've covered on this show over and over. You want to increase your success on your particular duck hole and piece of property in 90% of all areas of the country, one of the best ways to do that is to not hunt it every day, to let it rest some, to give birds the opportunity to build up on on it. And, you know, I I know guys who used to hunt every day of the 60-day season, now they hunt the same piece of property 35 or 40 and they rest it the other days, 
and they're killing more ducks in the 35 days that they hunted than they used to when they hunted it every day of the 60-day season. Why? Yeah, I mean, that's the, the quality over quantity. That's what it comes exactly. down to. Josh, you have beat that drum so much. You've beat that dead horse to death. Quality I know, over but, quantity. Uh, but there's no and other you're way. Right. There's, no, that's what, there's no other way to describe it. It just... That's just yeah. it. It and you know yeah. I know. I'm that, saying that in a negative yeah. way, either, Josh. No, I mean you're no. smart about. You know it. the opposition is well. We pay X amount of thousands of dollars for it. We're going for chance. Well, you know it's hard to hard to argue that guy's point, but you know you know because I get that. Like I, I mean I, I get that. you're paying a lot of money, but. What do you want? What do you want? I mean, do you want to kill dogs, or do you just want to look at empty skies and you know blank decoys? You know, I, I don't, I don't know. You know, I don't know. That that's a hard. Well, that's but, a hard. That's a hard one for me to answer. But but I, I know I do. I bring up quality over quantity, you know, quantity over quality all the time. You know, either way. But it, it. I mean, that's just that's just it. That's just it. Yeah. All right. So Rocky, let's go back to your question directly. Hypothetically, let's go to four days a week. You can hunt. Still can hunt sixty no. days. No, all right. Well, let, all right. Well, let's don't let's don't change the days. You still get sixty days. There's sixty, not huntable days, but sixty total days. It goes to the same length, but you only hunted four days a week. Well, then you wouldn't Same have the, sixty days of hunting. I know. I'm saying you wouldn't have sixty huntable days, but you would have. Four days. During a, you're talking about yeah during a sixty day time frame the same sixty day time frame. So, so now so now we're changing it. it. Initially we're talking about hunting four days a week and having sixty hunting days and putting some more on the back end and the front end. And if we right. did that, what? I think we all agree we would kill more ducks thanks to the rest days, but we could probably have a negative impact on breeding by going past January 31st. Now you're saying, okay, let's don't go past January 31st. Let's start the same day. Let's end the same day, but let's only hunt Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Saturdays, and Sundays, right? Yes, that's correct. Uh, In that scenario, I think that it would impact in three ways. I think that, number one, it would definitely increase hunter success in some areas but not all areas because i mean you've got times when maybe thursday and friday hunting's going to be great and then a big north arctic front's coming through friday night and the farm's going to freeze and saturday and sunday it's going to be locked up and there's not going to be a bird on it well you couldn't hunt it thursday and friday so you didn't kill a duck then and you can't hunt it Saturday and Sunday, even though, you, you know, legally you could, but you can't because there aren't any damned ups. So I, I think that some you would have instances of increased hunter success, probably most noticeably on public lands that adopted that policy that don't currently have it. I think that would be one effect. I think the second effect would be that it would probably be better on the overall population of breeding waterfowl because anything we do that eases pressure helps keep the birds healthier. That's a scientific fact. It's not my opinion. And then third, I think that it would have a negative economic impact that on, on some areas, particularly 
places like the Delta of Mississippi where guys like you, you know, guide oftentimes six days a week and places like Stuttgart, Arkansas, Gaydon, Louisiana, um, you know, northwest Tennessee where I live, cutting has become a big, big industry and a big deal. I think you cut it down, you know, there'd be dollars lost economically for those areas on those three days that you don't have hunting. So I think those are the three major areas where you would see an impact. What do you think? What's your opinion on this, guys? No, I I think you hit the, the nail right on the head. I, I think you explained it perfectly as usual. <laughs> oh. I don't know, man. I don't know at all. I've just been around a lot. I have a, a, a fun <laughs> one in. If, if, if we're on hypotheticals, let's stay there for a minute, and let's go back to Rocky's initial 60 hunt days. But, you know, tack some on to the front and on to the back of the season, you know, now. Okay? Would you be for or against going back to the point system where it costs you more to shoot a hen? Um, I mean, we're just having first. fun Rocky, with it. You go so. first. You, you go first. <laughs> I know my answer to that question. What do you think, Rock? No, I, I wouldn't do it. Me either. Me either. And I wouldn't do it because, number one, if you tack on extra days on the front end of the season, you're probably not going to gain a whole heck of a lot. I know in Tennessee we open up uh, the weekend after Thanksgiving every year. And, you know, if we open two weeks earlier, it wouldn't help us a whole heck of a lot. Usually we don't start getting birds until at least mid-November. So we don't gain a lot by getting it on the front end. We would we would definitely increase our harvest most years if you threw it onto the back end, but again, even then, it's a trade off because okay, so let's say that a hen's worth a hundred points, or let's say that after January the thirty first, you can't kill a hen. Period. Uh, you still got hunting pressure. Pressure is pressure. You know, if you're shooting at the green head flying beside her, you're putting stress on that hen. You know, just like you are if you're shooting at her. The only difference is if you're shooting at the greenhead beside her, you're not as likely to kill her. You know, although I have seen collateral damage, so I think that, you're just, you know, you're still going to have that pressure, that stress put on your breeding population the later that you take it out there, and eventually that's going to have a detrimental effect to breeding and brood and nest success and brood production. All right. Well, look, we're getting toward the end of the show. I've got one more that I want to run across you, Jay Paul, before we go. Do that. To and, and I like this because as a as a hardcore hunter, you know, I've given this a lot of thought. I'd love to be out there about 120 days in a row if it wouldn't, you know, get me bankrupt and divorced. And, and speaking of hardcore, um, the segment of our podcast has been brought to you by Hardcore Brands and Hardcore Decoys. Hardcore Makers of the most innovative and durable waterfowl products out there. It's not easy being hardcore. All right, so Rocky, what's what's your last one? Let's hear it. All right, this one's not going to take you long. Jay Paul, you know there's a rumor going around the Mississippi and Central Flyway, the Mississippi and Central Flyway, that Budweiser attached a million-dollar band to a snow goose. <laughs> Have you ever heard that one? Man, I have heard I have heard so many of those crazy 
things uh, out there. And by the way, it is a total myth. Um, there have been groups in the past that have wanted to do a bounty uh, type deal um, in utilizing bands. And the closest thing that you will ever get to that is the reward bands that you see. And I believe the maximum that a reward band can be is either a hundred or a thousand dollars. I've never seen one above a hundred, but for some reason, I think there are some higher than that. But but no crazy figures. And the reason for that, the reason why that's a myth that I know that that is not true with Budweiser and the million dollar snow goose is because U.S. Fish and Wildlife. Uh, has made that illegal. You have to have a permit to ban birds, and they will not allow anyone to ban birds um, with a bounty-type deal that's off the charts like that because they feel like that it could present moral hazards for hunters that could lead to poaching or other activities that just are not in the best interest of waterfowl. So, yeah, yeah. I've heard it, but I know for a fact it ain't true. Do you remember that a couple of well, it's been probably 10 years ago now, the guy from from Avery that was shot in Canada? You remember that? Yes, sir. I remember yes, sir. that. He was, remember, I remember it that. well. He was laying in a layout blind, and uh, an idiot on the highway with a high-powered rifle was looking at their decoy spread, and... Uh, I don't know if this is true or not, but as I recall, I think that maybe one of the one of the decoys was a full body that had a, a, a band, you know, like the manufacturer's band on its leg. And uh, he was band hunting with a high-powered rifle. Didn't realize I thought it was that a neck band. I thought it was maybe a neck, was band, a neck band, on the band Maybe it was a neck band. I, I think I'd always heard it was a leg band. Maybe it was a neck band. And... Um, he, uh, the idiot thought that he was shooting a banded bird one way or the other, and one of the hunters laying all tucked up in a layout blind shot him directly in the head, killed him instantly. That was a bad that, deal. That is. That really is a bad deal. And so, you know, that that's, there's a whole lot of reasons why you will never see Budweiser or anybody else out there uh, doing something like that because it's just not good. Having a bounty like that wouldn't be good overall. By the way, so, I, I'm, I just crossed so what you're telling. So what you're te- hold on. So what you're telling me is if I put a neck band on one of my decoys, it's not going to decoy a, a, a neck banded goose in? <laughs> no, but I'll tell you what. It might decoy some dumbass with a rifle who thinks they're collecting a neck band. Yeah, it's a, it's a really, really, really bad idea. It's kind of like, you know, you don't want to walk around during deer season in a deer suit with antlers glued to your head, do you? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no, no. And with the realism that we get in some of our spreads today is, you know, I mean, I, I just the other day opened up and, and put out in the field some new hardcore full-body uh, elite specs. These are fully flocked uh, full-bodies. And, man, from any distance whatsoever, you can't tell that they're a decoy. I'll be danged if I want anybody to slap a neck band on one. You know? so some, and I don't even hunt near a road. So some idiot could uh, 
could shoot at it. But um, by the way, you brought that up with Budweiser, and I've got an interesting deal in Budweiser, Anheuser Busch, and no way supports us or anything like that. But I just uh, I just did uh, cross the state line into Mississippi County, Arkansas, from the Boot Hill of Missouri. I'm going over here to to hunt tomorrow near Cherry Valley, and uh, interesting. Ooh, Jay Paul's telling everybody where he's hunting. I, hey, I, there won't be any pins dropped. I want, listen, it's a big area, brother. All right, I'll be in northeast Arkansas. Yeah, yeah. As a matter of fact, I'll be, yeah. I'll be 14, 15 miles from the nearest restaurant or store. I was instructed if I needed diesel to get it uh, before I left town. So I, I'm not too worried about anybody finding the spot. But anyhow... This is kind of interesting, though, guys. I'm not a big beer drinker, but uh, when I do drink beer, I do drink Budweiser. Do you know why? Mm, no, I do not. Because Anheuser-Busch actively supports waterfowling, and Anheuser-Busch, uh, Budweiser is made exclusively with rice grown in Arkansas and the Mississippi Valley. So they're supporting they're supporting our economy, our waterfowling culture by buying rice grown uh on the Grand Prairie and in the Delta. I think that's kinda cool. Yeah. I mean, hey, I like to spend my money with people that support us and not people that are against us. So that's just an FYI. So the next time you're looking at the cooler in your local uh, uh, Circle K or Double Quick, and you're trying to decide between light beer from Miller and Bud Light from Anheuser Busch. Grab the Bud Light. Give the hunters a break, okay? <laughs> and I'm just going to use that little editorial as my closing thought, guys. We've got a lot of product spotlights and, and, and company highlights, but we have never done a, a, a beer one. So that was that. But well, I, mean, I never knew. I never knew that. So I'm I, I'm. Thankful for that bit of information. <laughs> you know, it was just one of those little worthless, worthless things that I know. It's kind of like cool to, something cool to talk about in the duck blind. I mean, you know, it something, is. To throw, it something is. to throw at your buddies, you know. It is. Well, I, can and it goes you, for, I can tell you, boys, I love Bud Light. Bud Light <laughs> is a good beer. We love drinking it with our gumbo down here. <laughs> Coach O, I'm really glad to hear that. I bet you, I bet you, Coach O, you can't tell me what the uh, what the fine print on a can of Budweiser, the little banner up above the logo, says. Uh, J. Paul, they didn't teach us how to read down here in South Louisiana. I beg your pardon, Coach. <laughs> oh, you just learned how to read. Yes, I forgot you're at LSU. Uh, yes, I didn't. Not a very high rate of literacy problem there. I apologize. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Look, I know we've got to wrap it up here. I really enjoyed uh, uh, myth busting a little bit with you guys, and I'm sorry that I, I've talked so much today, but uh, pretty good stuff. Josh, close it out here. What do you think, brother? I, I'm I'm really I'm interested in seeing how your hunt goes on the uh, you know hunting the fall behind this behind this front in Arkansas. I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing a report from you on that. Things are finally starting to open back up here in the Mississippi Delta. Um, so I'm looking forward to hopefully some good days the next few days. But uh, that's really it. I mean, it's just been fun talking about all these, you know, crazy situations. 
Amen. Amen. How about you, Rocky? What you got for us? I think I'm on close with this. That's <laughs> my split personality. Which one you want to hear from? You want to hear from Coach O or you want to hear from me? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I like your alter ego, but I'd rather hear from you, Rocky. Tell us All what right, you think. Look. Yeah, my closing thoughts are going to be, guys, we had two accidents, big accidents in duck hunting this past weekend. Look, the thing that I want to leave you with, make sure you have the proper equipment for wherever you may be hunting. You know, a couple of these people were, one was in, is it Matagorda Bay around Houston? Matagorda Bay, Matagorda Bay. Three died, two bodies were found, I think, out in the water, and one underneath the capsized boat itself. Yeah, and we had uh, two guys that all should have died in one of the passes down around Venice, Louisiana, this past weekend. So, guys, look, when you're especially hunting these rivers or bays, make sure you have the right equipment to go out onto this water because a lot of the smaller equipment's not made to go out into the Mississippi River or the you know the bay. So, be careful out there. Make sure you have the right equipment to get out to these places. Yeah, and, you know, we had another fatality that my wife just told me about, um, which brings me to, 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 that's great, Rocky. I'm glad you brought that up because it brings me to this last fatality that we had, um, man who went in because his dog was struggling in the ice, and he went in to the ice water to save his dog and subsequently perished himself, drowned himself. And, look, I want to add to what you just said there, Rocky. That's a great closing thought. Man, be careful and use common sense. And remember, there are a lot of people out there that depend on you. You know, I think some of these guys do these things not thinking about the implications that they can have for the people that they're going to leave behind. I know that my wife, you know, she worries about me every day that I'm out there, particularly when temperatures are extreme. And uh, there are some stupid risks that I used to take years ago that I wouldn't dream of doing today, you know, not because I'm scared, not because I've lost my nerve, but because there are people that depend on me that I want to get home for, and a dang duck's not worth that. And and the same thing's true, man. I'm a professional dog trainer. I have <laughs> I have a bunch of dogs in my kennel, a bunch of dogs in my house, a couple that sleep in bed with my wife and I every night. I love them as much as anybody, but I'm not going to I'm not going to die trying to save one of my dogs. You know, it's not worth it. And last but not least, you know, you may think you're tough. You may think you can last. I'm sure the guy that went out there into the ice water to try to swim out and get his dog thought he would be fine. But the reality of it is you literally only have a couple of minutes when you go into ice water i'm not talking five i'm not talking 10 i'm not talking 30 i mean you've got anywhere depending on what the air temperature is between 15 or 20 seconds and maybe two minutes max to get in and out and get dry before serious serious hypothermia and death sets in so you know man make good decisions be smart be well equipped rocky that is a great point brother and i appreciate you bringing that out well, just to wrap it up, so we've had two days of myth busted. We're going to come back here in a couple of days with one more, and we're also going to try to bring in a couple of experts to to either verify or shoot holes in a couple of these things. And uh, 
but I think it's cool. We've got almost uh, three weeks still left in the duck season. I'm one of those guys that likes to see the, the glass is half full instead of half empty. So I'm going back out there in the morning and going to try to punch them in the mouth. We'll all get together again next time and give you another migration report. But until then, on behalf of Rocky, Josh, and myself, we all hope that you've enjoyed this edition of the On The X Podcast, powered by DuckSouth.com.